the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hello, Oral Sessions. I feel like we still need to work on a nickname for Oral Sessions listeners. Any ideas? The Sessions? The Sessionees? The Oralies? That's aggressive. Um, Guys, welcome to the episode. A bonus extra episode because if you've noticed a little trend throughout October, we were doing some spooky, scary Halloween edition episodes. So we decided to do a little highlight reel for you. A scary ghouly, ghastly highlight reel of the interviews. What a good time. Oh my gosh. We had on Jim Perry from Defy Wrestling. Uh, Also, he's got his podcast that is up and running, Euphemit, that you can check out because he is like the ghost enthusiast. That is his world. He was fascinating to have on. Um, We had on the Ghost Brothers, who were great. They've got their show on Discovery Plus and the one, the only, CMFT, Corey motherfucking Taylor, dog, uh, from Slipknot, of course, and Stone Sour, um, and just an all-around cool dude that just so happens to be a wrestling fan and has written a book on ghosts. He was the perfect person to have in this hot seat to talk about these uh, torted tales of goblins and ghouls and uh, hauntings, and he's had some experiences. Anyways, guys, here we go. Let's get into it. Here is the bonus holiday Halloween episode of Oral Sessions, if you dare. Have you had paranormal experiences? Yeah. Ooh, okay. What was your first experience with the paranormal? The first experience I had with the paranormal was actually within my family. My grandma and my mom were very close And I remember distinctly as a child sitting there like watching TV and my mom would walk up to the telephone and pick it up and start talking to my grandma without it ever ringing. And conversely, the same the same thing. I'd be with my grandma. She'd walk over to the phone, pick it up, start talking to my mom. And it would happen. It's not hyperbole when I say it would happen almost every day. These two had such a crazy connection like that. What a weird thing. Yeah. I later learned that kind of like ran throughout the family on the, on the woman's side of the family and that it was a common thing for them. And they just called it their ESP ability and they didn't really hype it up or, you know, kind of make it a big deal. And so for me, it allowed me to like step into a world where I was like, I don't know, like a lot of stuff is possible, I guess. (laughs) Like this stuff is just normal, I guess. And then the, the other childhood experience I had was just, I think, um, it was potentially something called ball lightning. You know, folks in other parts of the country where it it becomes incredibly humid and the temperature changes uh, drastically can experience these these huge balls of lightning, like glowing orbs that can sort of move around indeterminately and like almost have their own life force or something. And they're usually very fleeting, but they can really scare the shit out of you, too, (laughs) if you don't know what it is. Where would something like that happen? I think it's actually pretty common in the Midwest. And some of the southern states. So, yeah, get ready. (laughs) And 
And uh, yeah, I saw it at my grandfather's house. I was probably watching. Honestly, I was probably watching like an old like WCW Saturday night in the 90s or whatever. And I was sitting there watching the TV and this ball of light, this orb emerges from the television, flies over my head as I'm sitting on the ground, takes a corner, turns into the kitchen and then flies out the kitchen door. What? I'll never forget that in my life. So these are the type of things, though, I think that for me as a kid, those are things that you experience. It kind of piques your interest. You go, what else could be there? You maybe investigate to a certain degree and then just life kind of happens and it sends you in a different trajectory. And I think a lot of people share that experience of having spooky things happen when they're a child, right? Like maybe you are familiar, (laughs) I know. Um, Maybe it never emerges again with people because they're sort of in the flow of life, you know, kind of the consensus idea of reality. But for other folks, like these things can start creeping back into their life if they just kind of like open up their minds to it a little bit, I think. Is that why it's a thing that affects children more than it does adults? Because they're they're like bright eyed and just kind of absorbing everything and their minds have not already been shaped into this like work regimen that we all are in? Yeah, many people would say that, you know, I think there's this idea that children also have this ability to be connected to the other side in a greater degree. There's uh, there was a book by this author, Leslie Kane, who uh, does a lot of work for The New York Times. And this book, Surviving Death, which was um, also created into a Netflix series, which people can watch right now. There's a lot of scientific evidence showing. Oh, I've seen that, that show. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Right. And so like kids that start telling their parents about potentially what could have been a past life of theirs. That's my fear. If my kids oh my start gosh. doing that, I'm out. <laughs> I don't know where I'm leaving her, but she's got to go somewhere else. (laughs) Doorstep. That's (laughs) doorstep somewhere. Grandma? You know, we joke about it, but there's a potential that that's like actually happened to people in the past. And that once their children start exhibiting like this higher level of connection of something else, maybe a greater degree of observance of some of these things that like sort of beats that out of them in a way. It's a terrible way to describe it. But like one thing that pressures them to leave that behind, I think, is the pressure socially of others within their family and friends and everything else, where it becomes just something fun and something that you should just forget about because that imaginary friend you had was just a figment of your imagination. And probably almost all the time it is. But are there occasions when that's not the case? Yeah, of course. I mean, if there is a situation where there's a ghost Talking to a child or communicating like that's so I mean, who knows what this is. But when I was pregnant with Nora, I in one of my ultrasounds, it looks like there's a face in the ultrasound. It's trippy. So I saw it and I was like, mm, I think I'm making that up. So I, I said nothing, but I just sent my mom the ultrasounds because you could see the baby in them. And she was like, there's a face in there. I'm like, I know I saw that too, but I was trying to pretend there wasn't. And what's crazier is that this face looks just like my great grandmother. Oh, so it looks like my mom's grandmother and it is eerie. I kept looking at it and my mom was showing it to other family members. And yeah, I mean, I kept seeing this too and it's trippy. I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, at least like if that was something, so I did look that up and there is like, you know, there's a whole forum, of course, online of like other women saying that they had been able to see things and ultrasounds. 
that looked like it was um, a, a past family member wow. or you can see that it looks like an actual face. I should actually get this photo to use for a social clip for this. It's just so that other people can see it because it is trippy. Um, but then I started to like think, I'm like, okay, well, I mean, hey, if that was my great nanny, Shay, who I never met, I never never got to meet her. Um, at least I know everyone loved her. She was like a lovely, sweet woman. So if she happens to be looking over my daughter, who is named after my grandmother, who is my great grandmother's daughter, that does that make sense in the family tree for everybody? Yeah, I don't know what it was, but it was very eerie. But there's, yeah, there's a whole thing online of other women saying that they saw the same thing and it looks like a family member. It looks like a face or or whatever. But yeah, it's it's trippy, man. Holy smokes. That's amazing. So if my kids start speaking to Gertie and she starts having a best friend, I'll be like, oh, shit. <laughs> She's been over, like looking over my child this entire time. Yeah. And, and when I was pregnant, I was watching um another show on Netflix, I think, of Oh fuck! What is it called? My child. It's a it's a thing about kids having past lives, and it's crazy. These kids like that like could this one little girl could fully draw out the map of the Titanic, saying that they were one of the people that was like on the Titanic and helped to engineer and to build it, and they kept drawing like the smokestacks that were on the on the Titanic, and there was some kind of thing of one of them didn't work, so one of them didn't have smoke billowing out of it in the drawing she did. And she was like, well, yeah, because it actually was not a functioning one. And the mom went and did research on the Titanic and was like, holy shit, how could she have known that? Like that that stuff blows my mind. And I believe it. I mean, I, I do believe in like past lives and being old souls and having like experienced different parts of the world and different generations of the world. Like I, I can totally buy into that i don't know how that works but the thing with it is that beyond belief because i like i like to believe as well i have to be very careful with my work to say i believe about certain things because the topics and individuals that i'm working with and trying to tell their story help them share their story uh, are very divergent and very varied so if i go into the route of you know, sort of convincing myself to fully fall into belief. I feel like it's a slippery slope until I stop doing this work and I can go like full wild belief, man. (laughs) (laughs) So is that because when you're working with these people that they'll think you're like wacko Jacko and you're just trying to like make them believe it, that it's all sort of like a sleight of hand trick kind of situation? Definitely. That's part of it. To ease the subject's mind that I'm not going to not believe them, that that I'm there to support uh, them and their beliefs and their systems and what their experiences have been. And I think the lesser they know sometimes about what my belief system may be, the better I'll be able to help them relate to me as kind of like a, uh, you know, a, a, a blank slate. And same with the listeners, right? So Yuvamed has listened to a lot of people that don't watch like sort of ghost shows It's done in sort of like a public radio style. I wanted to make it where individuals who are maybe just curious about the subject can kind of like lose themselves in the stories of other people and get lost in that human narrative without being sort of intimidated by the level of this is all real and you got to believe it because I would never want to try to like ask people that because of the nature of the topics that are that are discussed. Like some of them are pretty far out there per like sort of typical standards. I mean, we had an episode where, I mean, just an example, a lovely guy named Balfasar. Balfasar, what a name. Yeah, Balfasar Ashanti son is his name. 
you know, I believe it was like sort of inherited by some messages that he received and by like who his mentors were. But he's a voodoo priest and a vampire in New Orleans. And so what reminded me of this story a little bit is when you talked about like you had your experience and you went online and there were forums. One of the ways I find a lot of subjects are sort of through these forums because all throughout the internet are these communities of people that have either identify as something very fringe per like sort of popular belief systems or just need to share this crazy story and they find somehow it siphons down into people that shared such similar experiences that you can't help but create community around those like very specific situations. So Balfasar is like a representative of the vampire community in New Orleans. This is a group that when they collect together in groups, they refer to themselves as houses. So he's the head of a house. And according to him, there are houses in every city and town in America and around the world. And we just don't know. So there are these secret houses of real vampires. Most of them, I'll say, are not malicious They do drink human blood because there's a belief system that physiologically they are getting something from it. Where do they get the human blood from? It's really interesting. Most houses form groups with donors. And so in addition to the vampires, there's this donor community. Balthasar, for example, he's put together a contract and the contract is similar to what people will see, what he referenced as like maybe the S&M or bondage community where it's like this physical contract that states, you'll be a donor, we'll do this regimen of testing between ourselves, blood work and all these different things to make this as safe as possible. And here's like sort of a schedule of when you'll donate blood to me. And sometimes it'll be as much as a, what did he say? Like a quart potentially of blood um, throughout a certain period of time. And usually the methods are different too. Sometimes they'll place it in a bag, etc. Most of the time, and for Balthazar, will be direct like lip to skin. He's sucking it out. Yeah, sucking the blood out. Holy shit. So they'll just like, they'll just like, you know, cut a wrist or something and... Yeah, their wrist or their back is a really popular place to do it. Using just an exacto, like using a, a little blade. They're gigging. Essentially. And then yeah. the skin action and sucking the blood out. And, you know, sometimes these vampires will have like several donors. They'll have three to four to five donors, depending on who you are. They will typically have fangs too, but just for like the kind of the embodiment of the idea. There usually isn't like sort of fang uh, protrusion, but it's a very real relationship. And uh, like any community, there's discourse between the groups and different methods. You know, according to Balthazar, his group is really involved in community outreach. So, for example, after Hurricane Katrina, his house went out into the public and set up food kitchens and fed the homeless. So instead of this like sort of archetype of vampires, like kind of like stalking through the shadows and feeding on homeless and stuff, they were feeding the homeless. They were bringing something to their community and still in new Orleans to this day act as like sort of a, a popular community group to offer services. But he says, that's not always the case everywhere. Well, in new Orleans, you would almost, you know, you could understand something like that being embraced a little more just because new Orleans has such a, you know, a rich history with, all things paranormal and all things in that like sort of subculture. So I, I can see that there. But if you have, you're thinking like, wait, does this exist in like Iowa to imagine 
that community kind of thriving there. I mean, in like somewhere like New York City or like San Francisco or something like, all right, I could kind of see something like that happening. But like, yeah, these other little subcultures, like I love the idea that this all kind of happens kind of underground. And if you know, you know, if you don't, you haven't got the faintest idea that this is a thing that's existing in a a group that is thriving. Yeah. It's cool to think about something like that in 2021, right? That that still exists, that things aren't on the internet that we just know about. (laughs) That's fascinating. I wonder what an Iowa vampire party would look like. I, I mean, I want to see what any of these vampire like are. Um, are they dressing like what I imagine a stereotypical vampire is dressing like? Is there a cape and some kind of suit situation or is it like Twilight? Like, what are we dealing with? Some do. So what's funny is I met Valfazar and he was wearing like a Marvel Comics T-shirt and like jeans. And it definitely had like sort of an imposing Victorian era look about him with his tied back salt and pepper hair and everything. But there's actually a rift in that community. Balthazar's group being what he thinks is more authentic and more grounded. And then the other community, which is more uh, theatrical, they get together and have big vampire gala balls where they all dress like they're in that Tom Cruise Brad Pitt movie. It seemingly there's more of like a sort of sexualized component to those ones as well, where it's just like it's a lot of people like trying to go to these things and hook up, I think. It's like interview with the vampire meets like eyes wide shut. That vibe. And Hell so yeah. <laughs> she's she's so she's so so those definitely exist and there's definitely kind of like oh they're just like posers they're just playing around they're not real vampires you know once you're around these individuals if like energy is a real thing like you know you've heard that we can some people think we can kind of like read on energy and sometimes you like move through that and some people claim to be empathic in that way and can kind of sense that stuff when you're around vampires long enough you sort of at least for myself, like I felt like I started to get a sense of their energy. Wow. And it was something I'd never been around. And in fact, in New Orleans, you can go to all these like sort of curio shops and occult shops and everything else. And uh, I found myself like going there right away after like experiencing that energy, just picking up like talismans and like all this stuff that I don't even know if I believe in, like protection amulets and stuff, just to see if there's a way that I could protect myself over this energy that I never encountered before. Yeah. I mean, if someone's suggesting this might protect you, this might help. I mean, yeah, I would, I would veer in the direction of use it. If it works great. If it doesn't, no harm done. Exactly. So it was like months after, and I was doing an episode on the Queen Mary that's like parked in Long Beach and it's supposed to be like sort of one of the hottest places in America. And it's a huge cruise ship similar to the Titanic and was used to transport folks from uh, New York to England and even had a, a part in the war effort in World War II. And so this place is parked in Long Beach and you can go and stay there and or you were able to go and stay there. And so I was down there doing an investigation and, and following this investigation, essentially. And some individuals walked in to the restaurant and it was that feeling again. Like I looked at them and I go, oh, you guys are totally vampires. No way. And I just like had that presence. And then I got to know them a little bit through the night and everything else. And sure enough, there was like some stuff going on. It was alarming to me that whatever that sense was, they carried with them. And I was able to distinguish How it. did you say like, <laughs> are you guys vampires? Like, how did you ask them subtly without it being? Because if you ask someone that and they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, <laughs> It was one of those things where even though I'm confirming it, 
we were hinting around it. It was like that kind of situation where where exact words weren't said. They had attended a ghost investigation with us that night, and it was just a tour through like the bowels of the ship. And this guy was doing EVP, electronic voice phenomenon work and stuff. And as the night was rolling on, because ghost investigations, you know, are kind of boring, actually. Sometimes they last a long time and you're just sitting there asking questions in an empty room. People started to split off like from the group and it got down to just a couple of us. And a few of those individuals were a part of that group. And as we got to know each other a little bit, you know, I, I like sharing with folks about what the podcast is about. And in case they have a story, I let them know that I'm a very non-judgmental person and that if they have something going on, they can share. And that's when I was able to sort of confirm like what their position was on uh, things of vampiric in nature. <laughs> Damn, that's crazy. I, mean, I, I feel like I got to do a deep dive on this. There's got to be some uh, some of that happening in Las Vegas, I would imagine. Okay, so you are a man that has seen some things, done some things. You've toured the world. Have you ever seen a ghost? Oh, dude, I wrote a whole book about it. My second book, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Heaven, is all about my experiences with the supernatural. Essentially, I wrote the book trying to make peace with the fact that I'm a a very clear atheist, and yet... I've experienced things that I can't understand. So it's me shooting at it, honestly, from a very scientific point of view and trying to understand the energy of the soul and how that can imprint onto our memories. And when we pass in a certain way, or if it's just because we pass those memories imprint themselves onto the soul and that becomes what. The it, it's I mean it's a whole thing I mean I'm I'm paraphrasing right now and I, I'm Amazon priming this as soon as we get off this Zoom. Aside from the fact that I suck at writing, it's it's actually a pretty good book. But yeah, I mean I've uh, you know for a long time I had a lot of experiences with just things that I I couldn't understand. I'd seen things, I experienced things, and I think it was because these things were attracted to the energy that I have, which is something else I talk about in the book is the incredible attraction that certain energies have towards each other. And they try to bundle together. And that's one of the reasons why maybe sometimes houses aren't haunted, but people are. This is my fear because John and I just bought a house in Cincinnati. It is built in 1880 old as shit. So I did not know that Cincinnati is apparently like a mega haunted town. I had no idea because it's so old. There's so much history there. So I love this stuff. I love reading about ghost things. I love a good ghost tour. I'll, I lean in. John backs the fuck out. He hates it. Hates it. This is all brand new of us, like getting this house and whatnot. But he was like, if that house is haunted, we're leaving. He's like, but you bring that on. He thinks I bring the ghosts on because I'm interested in it. He might not be wrong, though. I I know. Yes, I know. He might not be wrong. What do I have to like sage myself? What do I do? I've experienced this myself because I kind of closed myself off to it after a while because so much weirdness was happening in my life. What was some of the weirdness? A lot of things were starting to freak out my kids. I mean, it was very physical. 
there was one time I came home from tour. Was this in Las Vegas? No, this was actually my old house in Iowa. And these spirits that I'm talking about, I believe attached themselves to me from the house that I had lived in before that house, which was built in 1905. And many people had been in and out of the house. So by the time I bought it, it was actually already a hundred years old. So there were many generations of things going on at the time. There were a ton of gnarly things going on in that house. And then when I went to the other house, these three younger spirits, I think attached themselves to me and followed me because I was a father, because of that energy that I carry with myself. They liked the fact that I was very protective. They would act up a lot, especially if I'd been gone for a while, I would come home and I'd be the only one in the house. And I would go up into my son's room when he would be at his mom's house and all of his books would be stacked in the middle of his room. Shut up. I would put them back. I would go back downstairs and I swear to you, within 10 minutes, I would come back up and they would be there again. Oh my God. And that's just one little thing. Some friends of mine came over when I wasn't there. I was gone on tour, but they thought I was home and nobody else was in the house. They came over, the light was on, which it wasn't when I left. The lights were on, which is one of the reasons why they stopped. And my house was a split level. So through the front door, you had windows on each side, like long rectangular windows on each side of the door. And then through that, you could see the staircase, which was directly behind the door. So you couldn't see it unless you kind of did this. Staircase went up to the second floor. Because it was a split level, there was a little bit of a gap between the ceiling in the staircase and the last stair through that was the second floor, basically. So they're ringing the doorbell and ringing the doorbell and they can hear footsteps inside. And they said that they, they went to the side to see if they could see anyone and get somebody's attention because we didn't have curtains there at the time. And they saw small patent leather shoes run in that gap, like children's feet. Oh my God. And they called me and they said, Hey, are you home? It looks like there's people inside. And I said, what are you talking about? Like I was in Europe and there was nobody else at my house, but because that was going on, it was actually encouraging more chaotic energy around me. Cause it was like kind of getting attention too. Right. Exactly. And there was real tumultuous, toxic things going on in my life from my previous relationship. And that was stirring up and it was just, a, there was a lot going on. So when I left that relationship, I really made a conscious effort to clean up all of my energy because of the way I would react when I would think about that person and think about all the other people that were in her life. And I think because that happened, it deadened a lot of the energy that I would put out. I spent less time at the Iowa house because I was living in Vegas because of my youngest daughter. And I think because of that, slowly but surely, they either attached themselves to somebody else or they dissipated because there was nothing to re-energize. Oh, my gosh. Because of that, I've had less and less real encounters. And it's not because I don't want to. It's because I have my answers. I 
have experienced it. And now I don't, I don't need to seek it out. You know, like when it happens, I embrace it. I'm like, okay, but my energy has changed in such a way that I'm not like almost unintentionally looking for it, reaching out for it. So do you have any suggestions to cleanse a house coming into it? What do you do? Do I sage it? Do I like, what do I do? Sage, I think is more for your energy than it is about the house. However, as your energy changes because you believe you are using that in that way, I think that contributes to the fact that you are spreading positive energy through that place. But you could do that with anything, really. You could walk around with one of those 70s conical incense things that always smelled like a clove cigarette and just be like, all right, I bless this house. I know it's smelly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. I really hope that I'm not the one bringing the energy, but I think John might be right. And I feel like you've just confirmed it. But here's the thing. Changing that doesn't mean that you lose the sensitivity. It just means that you're stopping the invitation. What was like your first experience of, of getting into the paranormal world? Like the first time that you feel like you like had contact with a ghost or a spirit. It's funny. It actually happened. Uh, as a child. And that's what kind of led me to believe, like, you know, as an adult, maybe there is something to this. But I was visiting my grandmother. I was seven years old. She stays in a small town called McKamey, Texas in West Texas, literally a town where everybody knows everybody. And I was visiting one summer and uh, I had an older cousin and her and her friend, her friend was dating a guy. He uh, ended up getting into a domestic dispute with her. He got a gun, he shot himself and shot her. She survived, he passed away. Now, this is my cousin's best friend. So everybody knew everybody involved in this situation. So my grandmother decided to go view the body of the young man. So her and her best friend took me to this funeral home to view this body. Mind you, I'm seven years old. I remember walking into the sanctuary and literally there was a casket and he was laying there. He had a light gray suit, white shirt and a skinny black tie. But my grandmother's friend asked me at that time, like, have I ever touched a dead body before? I'm seven. Obviously not. This lady grabbed my hand and put it on the chest (laughs) of this dead body in this casket. Hand to God. I remember screaming. That's fucking traumatizing. I literally left. And that night when I was sleeping on the couch, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and standing there in front of me was that same young man with the light gray suit, white shirt and a skinny black tie. And that was my first time ever seeing something that I couldn't explain. Like, I literally just saw this man hours before dead in the casket. Why are you standing here? Now, being an adult and learning through Ghost Brothers, I understand what an attachment is. <laughs> and like, I feel like by me touching him, he attached to me in some kind of way, maybe through the fear I had or the emotions, the energy I was putting out. But yeah, that shit was crazy as hell. It's like he imprinted on you. My first ghost experience, uh, it took place in a cemetery in a small town. In Mississippi, it was down by the coast. And so I was probably like 10, 12, somewhere around there. And I decided to play like truth or dare with the kids in the neighborhood. Like some were family members, some were just other kids. But we used to dare each other to run through this graveyard. It's no lights. It's like one road and the rest is just all field and graves. And so I take off through this graveyard. And as I'm running, I feel the presence of something behind me. Like I didn't think any of my friends were running. 
So I turn around and I don't see anybody. And I'm like, okay. So I try to run faster. And I'm like, I don't know if I can outrun a ghost. Like, is that something? Is that a thing? Being able to outrun a ghost? I don't know. But like, I'm running and I just feel this presence getting heavier and heavier. I keep turning around, but it's like, every time I turn around, it's like that presence is over my shoulder. Like to this day, I just couldn't explain what that energy was that I was feeling as I was running. It was like, that was my first encounter to like something being out there that I couldn't explain. So since those moments that both of you had, did you always stay as believers of ghosts? It's tricky, man. And, I, and I'm glad that I grew up and became an adult and be able to think for myself. Because growing up in the church, it was always you don't acknowledge, like Joanne said and Marcus said, you don't acknowledge things like that. But it, as an adult, that doesn't make sense. Because you can't believe in angels, you know what I mean? And and all of this, but not believe in that. And as a child, you can't question that because you're a child, you know what I mean? But then as an adult, you start wondering like, okay, I believe in angels. I believe in God. I believe in the devil. I believe in demons. You know what I mean? Like what about the idea of a ghost or a spirit being here is so far-fetched to me. And that's why I feel like people can really believe our show because we tell people all the time, literally a few years ago, we were just like y'all sitting at the house (laughs) on the couch. Yeah. Yeah. Is this some bullshit or is this real? (laughs) And it's real. It's some bullshit, but it's real. To piggyback on that, it's kind of like, I don't know if like I was acknowledging those experiences as like paranormal when I was younger. I was just like, I didn't know how to identify them. Right. So now that I'm actually in the field, you look at it and you're like, that's definitely a paranormal occurrence. And I also think that now I've been doing investigations, I've become a lot more susceptible to those occurrences. Like I'm a lot more open. I'm a lot more sensitive. Like I think that like you kind of start adopting this empathic ability, if you will, the more and more that you kind of involve yourself with it. Oh God, that stresses me out. Once you turn it on, you really can't turn it off. It's so true. And the reason why I say that is because... I'm about to move. I've been talking about this on the podcast, but I'm about to move to Cincinnati to a very old house. And I am a believer in ghosts. I sir, I always have been, you know, having experiences as a child or like even as an adult feeling like, ooh, maybe there's like something happening here. Something doesn't feel right. I can feel that something's happening. But I've not felt that way in quite some time. I don't feel like that in the house I live in now everything is good and fine. But now I feel like I'm opening that can of worms. I'm having all these conversations with guys like you talking about different spirits all through Halloween and whatnot. And now I'm afraid that I'm like opening myself up to it. I'm going to move into this house and it's going to be haunted as all hell. And I'm gonna have to move again. Enlighten me on this because all I can think to do is walk around with some sage and hope for the best. What do you suggest to do? It's a great start. That or like, do I have to have like a priest come to the house and some father and holy water the place? What do you do? Man, I tell people all the time, you got to just pray. You got to know prayer. Sounds like, eh, what? But listen, we pray before we go into any location, before we come out of any location. We make sure we tell any spirits to stay and let them know they're not welcome to follow us. Have you ever had an experience where you thought that you did get followed? To answer your first question, I think you should just set your intentions. When you move in, I think that's one of those things where like, you can really establish that boundary uh, uh, about like, letting the spirit like acknowledging yourself and this being your place and like you don't want the spirits to be there um and bother you in, in whatever sense but have i ever had a spirit follow me you know that's a touchy situation because let dalen tell it like there's a there's a spirit that i encountered on one of our episodes and wrote and in jamaica 
It was the Rose Hall episode. And I got into a, um, I guess you can call it a, <laughs> an entanglement. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. I use myself as a human trigger object to try to make contact with the spirit of Annie. She was the, the witch that was haunting and owned the property of the Rose Hall. And in that, I made contact with her um, servant that was a slave named Taiku, who she used to have interactions with. Ever since then, you know, strange things started happening around my place or my old place. I've moved since then. And one of those things was uh, I loaned out a tuxedo to a friend of mine and they told me that the tuxedo was haunted. They were like, yo, I need you to come take this tux because like ever since I've had it, Things in my home have started acting weird. I'm like, what do you mean things in your home start acting weird? Like lights are turning on and doors are shutting. And I think it's your tux. I think your tux is haunted. You got to get it out of here. I was like, oh, all right. That was the first time I ever heard that. And then another thing that happened was I came home one day and my patio door was shattered from the inside. And I stay on the fifth floor. And like there was no disturbance on the inside of my apartment that like, it was like somebody tried to break it in or anything like that. And there was just like no explanation to why this glass was shattered. And it didn't fall. It was just like the, the pane was just cracked. And like, I don't know how to define what happened. Something, someone was being petty and they're getting aggressive. Oh, my God. That's really horrifying. And did you do anything to like clear that up or you, you don't live there anymore? So is it better now that you moved? I called the police. I called the property manager. And they didn't figure it out. They just fixed my, they just fixed my glass. And honestly, probably six months later, I was gone. They don't, they don't know how to handle that. What are some of the most haunted places in America that you've been to? Cities would definitely be Savannah and New Orleans. Ooh, I bet. New Orleans is just a different situation. New Orleans is scary on like a bright, sunny day. It's still a little scary. Because you have just a mixture of like your voodoo and like all of the magic, witchcraft, all of that is in that bayou. <laughs> like that's yeah. like a big gumbo. That's also kind of like like some of the the oldest history for the United States. I mean, you got to think that whole South region had a lot of death and, and things associated with it early on. So I think it's harnessing a lot of energies. I think St. Augustine is a is huge, being like the oldest town. I think uh, Gettysburg. Um, being like a haunted haunted location. Yeah, I, I feel like definitely Louisiana, or like definitely more on like the East Coast, it feels like. Like I feel like more like, I don't know, maybe that's just in my head when I think of like the like different, like the older architecture and the old buildings. Like it always feels like there's just something a little more like creepy happening over there. But I don't know, maybe that's just in my head. Okay, so you're going, you're going in to investigate a place. What all do you bring with you? What are like the main tools that you need to have to check to see what's happening in a house. I like to have a buddy. Like, I think we got to try to have like, uh, it needs to be a buddy system going on. I was going to say cell phone because you might got to call the laws. Police help, 911. You never know. You got to be ready <laughs> just in case. But you can't call the cops. What can the cops do? They can't help you from a ghost. That's what you messed up at. It's not always a ghost. When we were in Cleveland at the House of Wheels, a guy ran in off the street at three o'clock in the morning and got lost inside of this 40,000 foot megaplex. So we had to have a police. <laughs> so that's when the cell phone came in real handy. If you've never heard or seen a homeless man get lost inside of a haunted house, it is by far one of the wildest things you can ever experience. It's entertaining for sure. 
he was screaming so loud because he couldn't find his way out. Ain't no telling what he saw inside of that place. Good God. Um, exorcisms. Where do you guys stand on exorcisms? I love a good exorcism story. Do you have any? Is it something you believe in? How does that work? I believe in it wholeheartedly. And that comes from uh, me growing up in the church. So my mother is a pastor. She's been a pastor since I was in the third grade, the head pastor of her own church. And uh, I've just seen some crazy shit, man, just from being that child being brung along to church three or four times a week. And I remember this one time, my mom, I didn't go with her, but she went to this lady's house who they believed something was wrong with her. And my mother and two of the male ministers went with her and they all vouched for her. My mother was praying for this lady and the lady became so like violently strong. The two men were trying to hold her. Everyone swears to God there was a trash can, a metal trash can, the big trash can sitting in the corner of the room. It got up on its own and flew across and hit the wall. My mom is not the type of person to even play with like lying about stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like she's that devout when it comes to stuff like this, but everybody in the room vouches for it. She pulled me to the side probably about three, four years ago. It's probably after like the first or second season of the brothers. And I uh, told her, I was like, man, mama, you know why people love the ghost brothers? And she was like, why daily? And I was like, because we don't know what we're doing and people find it interesting to watch us figure it out. And she didn't even smile. She just looked me dead in my face. And she was like, you're right. Because if you truly knew what you were doing, you wouldn't be doing it. And she just walked off. Like a lot of people really don't like playing in this area. I was when I was working for WWE, we were supposed to go. Gosh, it was some haunted building. It actually might have been in New Orleans because I think it was when we were there for WrestleMania and they were trying to put together a crew of people to like go into this haunted house and get out a fucking Ouija board, but they couldn't get anyone to commit to do it. There was a lot of people like all these wrestlers were like, Nope, I want nothing to do with that. Will not be around it. People don't play, but I I mean, I get it. I get it for sure. But it's one of those things. It's like, you want to believe you want to see something happen, but then if it does go too far and all of a sudden you find yourself in a sticky situation and you have a ghost following you around or you become possessed or something like who knows what could happen. You're opening that portal wide open. Busted it wide open. What about the Ouija board situation? Where do you stand on Ouija boards? We know we shouldn't, but we do. We used it last week to be completely honest. <laughs> like it is like, I'd be feeling bad saying it out loud. Cause I know anytime my mom hears something like this, she's just like, you just want to go to hell, don't you, boy? What is like the moment that sticks out to you guys with getting out a Ouija board of something that like gives you chills? It's always so much apprehension, like before we do it, but we definitely have committed to using it several times. This past time. So just to be totally transparent, we are still recording the podcast as the podcast is airing what we're talking about, which is dope. You know, we have all these episodes coming out. So someone had the bright idea that we should bring a Ouija board into the studio to just see if we can get in contact with anything that may or not be around. So me and Juwan, we decide to do it, whatever. Because, like, what's really going to happen in a recording studio in the heart of Atlanta? Me and Juwan are doing this Ouija board, and it starts to move. And I'm like, Juwan, is that you? He's like, Dalen, is that you? Marcus isn't doing it. And we have the woman who's the... The producer in there, the, the 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 board director, 
she doesn't want anything to do with this just as much as Marcus. Jawan and I both raise our hands off of the little triangle Marcus can vouch for it, and the woman that has nothing to do with Ghost Brothers can vouch for it that ran the studio. That thing was moving by itself. No hands on it. Our fingers, hands were not touching it. (laughs) And it started moving by itself. What did it move to? Did it like say anything? It was either yes or no. It it just moved towards no, I believe. But I can't remember what the question was. But no, it it definitely moved on its own. A big thank you to Jim Perry, to Corey Taylor, and to the Ghost Brothers. I really appreciate you guys all coming on my show, helping to make this a fun October. A fun, scary October. I like doing these little themes. We'll have to do them again at Christmas time, I think. I'm already in Christmas mode. I'm not going to lie. I'm ready to roll. Um, Okay, guys, if you want to see what you're hearing... Go on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It is all there. It has been a really great growing community. We've got tons of content over there. Um, So hit that subscribe button. Make sure that you are getting those notifications so you know when the new episodes come out because my dude Emilio Sparks is just cranking it out over there on the YouTube. You guys all have this content, so check that all out. You know where to follow us on Instagram, at Renee Paquette, on Twitter and Instagram, and same with at The Volume Sports. There's other podcasts there that maybe you're into if you want to look at some other sports. But I've got pro wrestling on lock over here. All right, guys, this has been the Halloween episode of Oral Sessions. See you on the next one. (laughs) 